Praise God, he is all those things, isn't he? Last, last Wednesday night, we, we finished our Bible study on, on boldness, having that courage and confidence. I gave you an opportunity to shine. We talked about shining for God, and we had a small window of time, and you stood up and you began to share testimonies of what God's done for you, how you've seen him in your life. Those testimonies in each way, different testimonies, they begin to touch different people because you were able to see God working. Even when you don't know that he's working, he's working, right? And so many times we're we're in this relationship with the Lord and we accept these things that we begin to hear at church. But then when it comes to explaining that to someone else, the witness that we have, Sometimes we, we only have an answer that says, well, all I know is, is that's what they tell me. And we don't really know the story behind the story. And tonight I want to I give you the story behind the story. This will be a, a teaching application since it is Wednesday night Bible study. It may get to be a preaching application. I don't know. But when we think about this time of year, we're celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating what so many people, you'll hear them, hear them referring to this time as Easter. You'll hear them refer to the things that are going on at, in their churches. We hear kids that can explain it so easily. We celebrate Easter because that's when Jesus went to the cross and died, and he was buried and he rose again. But why did Jesus have to die for us the way that he did? I mean, why did he? So many times we just accept, well, that's just the way he died. He went to the cross. And then the next question, why did he need to give his physical body and his blood to forgive our sins in order to bring us together with God? What was it about the blood? What was it about the body? We don't really have an answer for these questions. We just say, well, that's what they've always told us. And so we accept it. And we think that we're accepting that by faith, and you are accepting it by faith because you didn't see it, but you don't have to accept it without the knowledge that God gives you in His Word. And He tells us this, and so I'm excited this evening for a couple of weeks. I know next week we'll have the, the kids doing this, but I want to talk to you about some things that we're going to be celebrating this time of year, but maybe we don't, maybe we haven't looked as deeply into them as we should. And I'm hoping the lights will come on. See, the Word of God gives us instructions, and He tells us that the more we know about Him, that the closer we'll be to Him. And so we'll be in several different places in the Bible. And if you have your Bible, I want you to stand and hold your Bible above your head and bear witness of God's Word. Amen. You may be seated, please. I'm going to go back to the same place that we were on Sunday morning. This is where we'll start. It's Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. As you know, Sunday morning we were able to celebrate the Holy Communion. We were able to, to celebrate that sacred time where we have communion with the Lord. And we were able to take the cup. We were able to take the bread. And we read in Matthew chapter 26. Verse 26 through 28, these verses that say, And as they were eating, 
Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink you all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. We talked Sunday about the fact that only Jesus could give this. He, he gave it to the disciples. As they were eating, he took bread. They were already eating. And you remember what they were eating? They were eating the what? The Passover meal. But this thing that happened at the end of the Passover meal, do we really understand why it happened and why it had to happen this way? And I believe that, you know, the lights can be turned on in our mind if we go to the right places in the Bible. And I think that you'll be able to celebrate this time of year so much so much more clear-minded and with so much more praise if we can retain what we're going to learn tonight. Are you ready? So, we read this passage of Scripture as instruction for us to observe the Lord's Supper. We call it Holy Communion because it's a, an ordinance that represents our communion with God. But do we really know what Jesus was doing here? Do we really know what significance the bread and the cup has as far as our communion with God? our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins? And do we really understand what Jesus is saying when he's giving it? You see, just in these verses here, Jesus is stating something that we overlook all of the time. We think we know, but sometimes we only know the surface of things. My hope today, my prayer is for us to understand the message that Jesus was giving when he demonstrated the giving of the bread and the giving of the cup and, and how the act of giving his body and giving his blood was essential for us to come into fellowship with God and it's essential for us to have eternal life. So I'll begin with just the, the first questions. What does the bread represent? If you know the answer, we'll say it at one time. What does the bread represent? The body of who? The body of Jesus Christ. What does the cup represent? You're absolutely correct, and most people don't think about it any further than this, but the Bible gives us significant details as to the, the act of giving the body and giving the blood, of Jesus doing the giving. God wants us to know these details, so I want to share these details with you, and, and I want to ask you a couple of questions through the way because it will let us be able to spur our minds. So why would we need to take and eat this bread? Why couldn't Jesus just give it? And why would we need to drink all of this cup as he was specific, all of this cup? So we'll go to verse 28 of Matthew 26. And Jesus makes this profound statement that says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sin. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. When Jesus says my blood, he's saying this cup represents my blood. Everyone understands that. That's not hard for us to understand. But when he says this is the blood of the New Testament, do we understand the huge meaning behind this? You see, the New Testament is not referring just to the second half of the Bible. It's referring to the New Covenant. Testament here means covenant. So what Jesus is saying that's so important is, for this is the blood of my New Covenant. Covenant's a, an important word, and we're going to be talking about it for a couple of weeks because we don't seem to, 
to know as much as we need to about covenant. We'll call a covenant a promise, but the covenant that Jesus was putting in place was so much more than any promise that we make to each other. We make promises all the time. Yeah, I promise I'll be there. But no, that promise was just a verbal promise. The covenant that Jesus made was so much more that it required blood. It required his body. It required his life and his service. I want you to understand the depth of this covenant. What he's saying here, this is the blood of the new covenant. He's saying that his blood is significant to the covenant His blood is essential to the covenant. His blood is what makes the covenant and seals the covenant. But of course, in our general conversation, we don't talk much about covenant. Think about his statement, how simple it is. For this is my blood, my personal pronoun describes whose blood it is, my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Why? For the remission of sin, to take away sin, to forgive sin. There's a lot in that verse, isn't there? But yet we can read it as just something that we read at communion time. The covenant spoken of here is the covenant between God and mankind. And so what is a covenant? A covenant by our definition, is an agreement between people, a a sealed contract, a formal agreement that has authority. And Jesus tells us that his blood of this new covenant is going to be used for the remission of sin or the forgiveness of sin. And so I want to look into this a little bit further. The word covenant, not that we say it enough, but the word covenant is mentioned, get this, 292 times in the Bible in 272 different verses. Do you think God wants us to know what it means? You see, what Jesus was telling them and what he's telling us is that this new covenant, which is not a covenant like we think, like the covenant that first comes to my mind is the covenant of marriage. Isn't it yours? This covenant of marriage. And then you think a covenant, well, I signed the covenant papers. Maybe that's a business deal. And we think about even church membership. We came in a covenant with the church. We came into this this agreement. But this covenant was different. This covenant was a blood covenant. How many blood covenants have you made this week? Blood covenant. And I think if our mind was open to the significance and the detail of the blood covenant, we would begin to understand why Jesus had to die the way he did, the steps in order that he had to die, and what sealed the covenant. We would also understand why we take this body and this this blood and this memorial meal that we take, that we call communion, You see, when we talk about Jesus dying for us, we can't fully understand why Jesus had to be persecuted, why he had to be crucified, why every drop of his blood had to come out of him until we understand the significance of the blood covenant. I want to tell you how important it is. This is foundational to your belief. If you're a Christian and you want to represent 
Jesus Christ as an ambassador. We've talked about that, right? If you want to do that, this information is foundational to you, or else you'll just have to say, that's what they've always told me. But when God gives you knowledge, he will also give you confidence in that knowledge, right? That's where your boldness will come from. So we're following up what we've talked about for these past weeks. You see, God's used the blood covenant to establish fellowship and agreement with man ever since man has existed. But Jesus used his blood to make a new covenant between God and man. This covenant that we see, the Bible talks about it in Hebrews chapter 8. It tells us that Jesus became the high priest of a new covenant, which did away with the old covenant. So when we read Hebrews chapter 8, I'll tell you what, I'll read some of it to you. Listen to how the covenant is explained. Hebrews chapter 8. I'll read to you a couple of verses. Verses 6 through 13. That's a good little section. It says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator, talking about Jesus here, of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. I will write them into their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Do you see the unity there? You see, unity is what happens in a covenant. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more." And that he saith, a new covenant he hath made, the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Jesus, here we are told, came to establish, but not just to establish, to seal the new covenant. But I need you to understand something. There can't be a new covenant unless there was an old covenant. So don't minimize the significance of the old covenant because that is the platform from which we are able to understand the new covenant. Ultimately, both covenants are with God. So, with that being said, I want you to understand this new covenant made by Jesus is a blood covenant. And I want us to look at the the knowledge that we have, the details, the information that we have about a blood covenant so that we can understand why Jesus had to use his blood to make a covenant between us and God. Why couldn't he just, why couldn't Jesus offer something else? I mean, think about it. We tell people all the time, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior because He died for you. Why did He have to die for us? Well, He just did. He gave His life for you. He sacrificed His life. But it wasn't just Him dying. There are plenty of people that died for the cause. You realize that. Plenty of people, martyrs, that died for the cause of God. But Jesus was different. You see, Jesus represented God in this covenant. It was His blood that had to be shed to make this covenant. And I don't expect everybody to understand right now, but in about 30 minutes, I believe you will. I want you to to look at a couple of things. And I took the liberty of looking some things up for you and some research so that you'll be able to see. You see, 
when we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating the blood covenant between us and God. You see, a blood covenant is a covenant that requires blood, if that doesn't sound too simple. A blood covenant is a covenant that requires blood. And some even take issue. You know, sometimes you know, when I'm thinking about this time that we call Easter, I'm thinking about the Passover. I'm thinking about Jesus being the Passover lamb. I'm referring to it. And some people get offensive if you call it Easter. Well, listen, if, if I'm talking to a thousand people and 999 of them are calling it Easter, then they know what I'm talking about. The fact that I'm referring to it as a name is not discrediting it. I'm giving something that's common and familiar so that I can keep the conversation going. Be careful that you don't get so legalistic that you're, you're, you're trampling on something just because you don't want to uh, use something that you don't think in your mind. When, when we say Easter, Easter is referring to this specific time. If I said Easter to, to a thousand people out here, 999 of them would know what I mean Easter. That opens the conversation for me. So if I were to go around and say, I'm not going to say this anymore because I, I'm so stuck on this, I'm not going to say this anymore, then what I've done is I've, I've shut down this avenue. So if I call it Easter, if I call it Passover, you can take offense with it or you can like it. Regardless, we're going to go on with the Bible study. So why Jesus had to use his blood to make a covenant between us and God? Why? Why? Tell me why. Well, blood is the essence of of life. Not my words, God's word. Leviticus chapter 17. I would encourage you sometime to go back and read the book of Leviticus. You say the book of Leviticus. Yes, the book of Leviticus. You see, Exodus, we see how God wanted this communion between him and, and the seed of Abraham, those children of Israel. He wanted this communion and we see that in the sacrificial system where God said, bring a sacrifice to me, that there had to be a blood sacrifice that was brought. And then he explained why the blood sacrifice had to be brought. Now we're going to read all these things, but it had to be done a certain way. There was a specific way the sacrifice had to be offered. Even so much so that the sacrifice couldn't be strangled. The sacrifice had to, to be purged of the blood. Because it was the blood. Leviticus 17, verse 11, the Bible tells us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, this is important. The life of the flesh is in the blood. In this same way, if we were to go to Hebrews chapter 9, we're told, and you, you're probably familiar with this, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So blood, why do we... Why do we have to talk about blood? Isn't that gory? No, the life is in the blood. You realize we have to have blood to live. Blood has to flow throughout our body and our body parts in order for those parts of our body to live. If the blood quits flowing, even the parts of our body will quit living. A little fun fact here. Every 23 seconds, our blood makes a loop in our body. When the blood stops moving, the person dies. Or else something has to make that blood flow. Now we've advanced with technology where you can keep someone to where their blood keeps moving. But if, if the blood doesn't keep moving, whatever it, the blood is not in dies. You see the significance I'm talking about? The life is in the blood. 
Of course, we could get scientific and we could say the blood carries the, the oxygen. We could go into to everything that the blood does, but we're just giving a general, a general overall. The life is in the blood. If, you, if you've learned that so far, say amen. amen. So God uses what, what he calls the blood covenant with man because it's a covenant that's a life-giving covenant. Now, I'm, I'm stair-stepping here, right? If the life is in the blood and you're making a blood covenant, then this is a life-giving covenant. Can we make that transition by what we've said? Absolutely. It's a covenant that's a life-giving covenant. Without this covenant, man will die. What do you mean? Listen, without the blood covenant, man would die spiritually eternally for all of eternity. Without the blood covenant, we have no life. Oh, you might have 50 years here, 60 years here, 80 years here, 90 years here, but you're going to die. And a matter of fact, if you're living now, but you're not a part of that blood covenant, you're, died, you're dead now. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Without the blood covenant, I can't live, spiritually live. Now, today a lot of man's covenants are taken lightly. Marriage, that covenant's taken lightly. You can get divorced. But the covenant that's made with the shedding and the mingling of blood between those that make it is the union of two parties that take all the assets, the gifts, the debts, the liabilities, and hold those things mutually together. This covenant can only be broken if the parties die. The blood covenant is a union between two people to make them act as one. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the blood covenant. I think it's, it's pretty interesting here. And I told you some of this would just be in a teaching application, but man, what knowledge it is. You see, according to history's account given to us from ancient Middle Eastern culture and the Hebrew blood covenant, by following these steps in the Bible, we can see the steps that, that were carried out between two people when they made a blood covenant. And so I want to give you these steps, but I think it's key. And you're going to see how it all pertains to our salvation. I remember some years ago, I preached a message on this, and it it was one of those things to where even in the research, you know, I'm preaching a message and it kept being one of those things to where it was like, wow, 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 wow. Because everything came together and it wasn't anymore just thinking, hey, what a great thing that Jesus gave all his blood. What a great thing that he died for us and sacrificed his life. The meaning behind it, he had to die this way. And I want you going into this time of year realizing God set this up back in Genesis. And he fulfilled it when we get to the, the New Testament. This is huge, so listen. I'm going to give you the steps of a blood covenant, if you will. The acting out of, of the covenant. And maybe I can make you understand a little bit more. This, this helps me. When I give you the steps of a blood covenant, there are steps to every kind of covenant, right? Let me see. Let me see who in here. I'm trying to find a uh, Sam. Sam, do you know I was going to call on you? No. Okay. You, you said it like, hey, yeah, I knew you were going to call him. Sam, you and Kayla, when you were married, right? So that marriage ceremony, you remember, remember we were in counseling and then we went over the ceremony. And we talked about the ceremony. How at the beginning of the ceremony, you know, we were going to talk about Here's the terms that we're going to go over. And this is your responsibility in the marriage, and this is your responsibility in the marriage. And so they did. And then 
we had a ceremony. He gave himself to her. She gave himself to him. He made a vow to her. He made a vow, she made a vow to him. They exchanged rings. There are all kinds of significant things that happened in that covenant. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. In the blood covenant, it's the same way. There are steps in that covenant to make it a binding covenant, and then it has to be sealed. Does that make sense? First step. The first step in the blood covenant is that when the two people came together, they wanted to make a blood covenant. This is a binding life covenant. The first thing they would do is exchange coats. You say, how weird is that? We don't do that in the marriage ceremony. Nope, nope. They would exchange coats or outer garments. What did this mean? Well, when they exchanged coats, it was basically saying that they, they were promising to give themselves. The coat represented them. I'm giving myself to you. And the other person says, I'm giving myself to you. That was the first step. They would exchange coats. This represented the act of giving and receiving someone else to become one. And then they, really weird here, they, they took off their belt, or sometimes they called it their girdle. Ladies, not what you're thinking about, girdle, not that that's even a word that's used anymore, but they took off their belt, why? And they exchanged belts. They offered their belt to the other one. As weird as that seems, but here's the reason. They exchanged coats, and then they exchanged belts because the belt was where, well, it's where you had your weapon or where you had whatever you needed to protect you. And so we're basically symbolizing that, hey, we've exchanged coats, we've given ourselves to each other, now we're also vowing to give our protection to one another. So I'm giving you my belt that has either my sword or my knife or whatever is in it, so I'm giving you my protection. That was the second step. It was the promise to give you protection. The third thing, well, this is pretty neat, it's called the cut of the covenant. The cut of the covenant, sounds weird, but... Here's what happens. The cut of the covenant. An animal was cut into halves. Remember, this was a blood covenant. This, this wouldn't have seemed so weird in Abraham's day. To us now, we think about it being weird, but it, it wasn't. The animal was cut in halves. And it was laid. If the animal was cut in half, it was laid symmetrical, just like this. And when it was laid like this, what happened was the blood from the animal... When it was laid like this, all the blood ran down through the middle. And as the blood ran down through the middle, what would happen is the two people would walk in between those two halves of the animal. And they would make the vows. And the vow was that I'll give my life just like this animal gave their life to uphold this promise. But the curse was, and if I neglect or renege on this covenant, then my life should be as one of these. And they would walk in that blood as they made the covenant. Thus the name blood covenant. Pretty neat so far, right? Exchanging coats, exchanging the belt that had the defense and the protection and the cut of the covenant. That's what we call it, the cut of the covenant. The fourth thing is they would give the terms of the covenant. Both people list what they have to give and what their liabilities are, and they agree to share in everything agreed upon. Everything that I have or, or own, everything that I owe is shared. Everything you have is shared. The, the people are coming together in this binding covenant, this blood covenant. 
Lifelong covenant. We adopt a little bit of those things in the marriage covenant. Although I've done hundreds of weddings, I've never had anybody have any, any kind of passing blood back and forth to each other. you know. Um, but the vows, some of those sound similar, right? Do you take this person, if they're richer for poor, or you're taking them in better for worse, or you're saying all these different things, but this is a whole different level than the, the marriage covenant. So you have the exchange of coats, you have the exchange of belts, you have the cut of the covenant, you have the terms of the covenant, and then you have the exchange of names. We even have this in the marriage covenant. You see, in the blood covenant, step number five is that they exchange names. Each person takes, takes a part of the other person's name. Well, this is serious business, isn't it? You make a blood covenant with somebody. This is not just a little promise that we make as we walk out the door. You're taking a part of the other person's name. You're becoming a part with them. And then, and then the other reason that we see that it's the blood covenant is because there's an exchange of blood. Now here's where we get to it. In this covenant, the sixth step is they, they raise their arm. They cut their hand. They put their hands together. And each person's cut that's bleeding mingles with the other person's blood, symbolizing they're becoming one person, and since life is in the blood, they're intermingling their very lives together. And so, this is twice we've talked about the blood in the blood covenant. I remember years ago, the, the only thing that came close to this was, you know, I remember we were growing up and We'd heard the term blood brothers. Anybody ever heard that? We thought the, we'd watched the Western or two, and we heard that the Indians were, they'd be blood brothers together. So I can remember some foolish things that we did, like cutting ourselves and that kind of thing. And I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying that's the way I knew, right? Get a wit, come in, give me a witness. Anybody else? Go, yeah, look at you. Man, we're such good, such good friends. We're going to be blood brothers, right? So, but this is for real. You've, you've done a whole lot of things by this point. Now you've mingled the blood. Now, here's the crazy thing. that The next step is to make a scar. You say, well, the cut will actually make a scar. It does. But what they would do is they would rub stuff in the cut to make it make a more predominant scar. You say, what is the purpose of that? You see, it symbolized the covenant. The scar was an outward evidence of the covenant for anybody else to see the cut was rubbed to make it worse so that everybody could see that if someone wanted to go against you they would have to go against your covenant partner too it was a sign that you'd made a covenant with somebody hey this is good it's showing how deep this blood covenant is now listen at the end of this this last step what would they do they would eat a memorial meal together you know where I'm going with this, right? They would eat this memorial meal together, and the memorial meal, this is pretty neat. A loaf of bread was broken in half, and each person would give their half to the other, saying, this is my body, and I'm giving it to you. And then they would give it to each other, 
And then the cup of wine they would give, they would say, this is my blood, which is now your blood. So symbolically, they had a memorial meal that symbolized everything that they just did. Now, little parts of your mind starting to open because you know where we started with this scripture, right? So I want you to understand something. I could read that to you today and tell you that this was happening, but unless I give you Bible significance and authority, then you could just say, where did he come up with that at, right? Turn, if you will, to the book of Genesis chapter 15. I want to tell you about a man that made a covenant with God. His name was Abram. God made a covenant with Abram. We call him Abraham later, but listen, he made a covenant with Abram, and we read in Genesis chapter 12 that he made a covenant with Abram. And then in Genesis chapter 15, we see something amazing. But while you're finding your place, I do want to inform you that we don't have to wait till we get to Genesis 15. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, do you realize that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God sacrificed an animal and shed the blood to cover the sins of Adam and Eve? And then we know that God had them to sacrifice blood offerings after that because we realize that Abel made a better sacrifice than Cain, right? So we know immediately that there were blood sacrifice. But when you get to Genesis chapter 15, I want you to notice God's covenant that he made with Abraham. It was a blood covenant. That's very important. See, God made a covenant with him, but it wasn't just a casual covenant. It was a blood covenant, which meant it was binding Listen to God explain the steps of the blood covenant. Abraham asked God in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, how can I know that this agreement is binding? You see, God had earlier promised Abraham land, children, inheritance, protection, and blessings. And Abraham asked in Genesis 15, imagine asking God this, how can I know that this covenant is binding? And he said, Lord, God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now listen to God's answer. And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So five different things. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. So get this. He took a heifer, he took a goat, and he took a ram. The birds he didn't mess with. He took them, and what does it mean he divided them? He cut them completely in two and laid them together. Does this sound familiar to you? That's the cut of the covenant. It says, and he took them all these and divided them into the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. Verse 11, and when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. So God is telling him what's to come. Verse 14, And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age. So he's giving him some prophecy about his own life and what, what his descendants. Abraham hadn't had a kid yet. He's already telling him that his people are going to be, uh, this is going to happen to him. So listen, 
It says, but in the fourth generation that shall come hither again, and the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, now here it is, watch this, verse 17, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. So what passed between those pieces? A smoking furnace, a burning lamp. Who was that? Who was that? It wasn't Abram. How do you know it wasn't Abram? He was asleep. A deep sleep fell on. Well, I thought that they had to walk in between these things. Well, that's the way a blood covenant works. But understand, for this covenant, God himself walked in between. He made the covenant. Why? Because he's the only one that could promise it and keep it. There was no other person that can make the covenant. You can read later on that God doesn't need to swear upon anyone. He could swear upon himself. You see, God made the covenant without anybody else. He made this covenant with Abraham. Now, this is big. Now, listen. It says, and in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. I want you to see there that we got a glimpse of this blood covenant. That happened. We got a glimpse of God's covenant with man and Abraham. If you were to read verses 9 through 12, you see these steps, but then you see verse 17 that God walked in the middle of the blood, and you see in verse 18 that God made the covenant. When God said in Genesis 15 1, God was offering Abram this, this robe and his belt. Like you can go back to chapter 15, verse 1. Listen, it says, after these things, this is Genesis, the word of the Lord came into Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I'm thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What is that? Well, that's God offering Abram his belt. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. We can look through this and we can see the signs of the blood covenant. Then we see this cut of the covenant as God told Abraham to take a heifer, a she-goat, and a ram. These animals were killed and cut down the middle and sacrificed. Their blood flowed freely. Next, we see God describe the terms of the covenant. You see, here we have the terms. What are the terms? He will bless Abraham and his descendants. He will give them land and protection, but they'll be cursed when they betray God. That's the same terms, right? This is what will happen to you if you betray me. We see in verse 17 that Abraham was in a deep sleep, but there was a smoking furnace, a burning lamp that passed between these pieces. And then we see something pretty neat. You see that God and Abraham incorporated each other's names into their own as the blood covenant required. You say, well, I didn't see that. Well, you'll see it throughout the rest of the Bible. What do you mean? You realize that God said, Abram, your name is going to be changed to Abraham. You say, well, God didn't change his name. Do you realize that from then he was called the God of Abraham? Abraham was incorporated into his name instead of Yahweh, just as he was known. He was referred to, look throughout the Old Testament, the God of Abraham. Who does it start with? The God of Abraham. Then it says the God of Isaac. Then it says the God of Jacob. Why does it say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? Because the covenant is what passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. It's all about the covenant. Who made the blood covenant? Abraham and God. And then it passed to anyone who, who were 
uh, was blessed with this covenant. Pretty interesting stuff. And then let's, don't, let's not forget the scar. You say, well, I don't remember a scar. Well, you haven't read much about the Old Testament because here's what God said. He said this scar was going to be a symbol of the covenant. Do you know what God told Abraham? He said every male over eight years old would need to be circumcised. Why? This was a sign of the covenant. We see this catching on. We see it even in David's time, understanding that, seeing it through the children of Israel in Moses' time when, when a generation had grown and, and then they brought them back in and said, hey, listen, if you're going to represent God, there needs to be a scar that represents the covenant. It's a big deal. Abraham was tested in his covenant, if you remember, on a mountain called Moriah. Remember him passing that test? God supplied the, the ram thousands of years later, that same mountain, God supplied the lamb. Amen? But you don't have to stop there. You see, the covenant still continued in the days of Moses. And you see, that same blood covenant that God made with Abraham was still in place as Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Everyone who claimed the blood covenant with God were told to put blood on their doorpost and on the lintel. But not just that, they were told that they were to take a lamb into their home. Exodus 12, read it. If you want to read something that can help you to celebrate Easter, read Exodus 12. Why? Because it tells you that there had to be a, a Passover sacrifice and the blood had to be put on the doorpost. Why? Because the blood represented the covenant that you had with God. So many times we just think, oh, we put the blood up there to protect us. No, the blood represented the covenant. It represented the covenant, uh, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the sacrifice. The life was in the blood. But little did they know at that time or or perceive that was something that was representing something that was to come. The blood of Jesus Christ is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. All the way to Revelation chapter 5 when they looked down in the midst and behold a lamb as it was slain. God knew that Jesus was going to have to die this way. Everyone who claimed this blood this blood covenant with God, we're told to put blood on the doorposts of the house and to repeat the terms of this covenant, even down to eating a meal symbolizing, which we call the Passover meal, a meal symbolizing the covenant that they had with God. Is covenant a big deal? Blood covenant's a big deal. And as the law was given through Moses and God gave the terms of his fellowship with man, and man's worship of God and God's forgiveness of man's sin, it always required the shedding of blood of the sacrifice. If you look and you see all of the details that we read in the book of Leviticus about the sacrifices, you won't see one here as far as the forgiveness of sins that doesn't require blood. You can see different kind of offerings and sacrifices, but they're not forgiveness sacrifices. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Why is that so important? Because of the blood covenant. Now listen, because I think this is good. This is why Jesus had to die this way. I told you we wanted to answer this question. 
Why are we celebrating death? You know, Easter, you think about that. Why are we celebrating death? We're celebrating the blood covenant. Well, I didn't have to die. Go back to Genesis 15. Only God walked through and made it. We couldn't walk through this cut of the covenant. Let me explain. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, this is the blood, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin, it means that he is offering every man an opportunity into a blood covenant with God by using his blood. How awesome is that? And if you don't know about the blood covenant, you're not going to realize that. Jesus is saying when he's sitting there, this is my blood that I'm offering to you. Why? So that you can come into the covenant. This is the blood of my covenant. Understand, I go back and I realize while Abraham was asleep, God wanted a covenant with Abraham so bad that God is the one that walked through, right? Pretty neat. It doesn't stop there. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the blood covenant that would give every man an opportunity to have eternal life if they enter this covenant with God by believing and accepting the terms of the covenant. When you enter this blood covenant with God, it's called being saved, born again. Do you remember the steps of the blood covenant? Let's talk about them quickly here as I close. An exchange of coat or robes. Well, I'll never remember doing that with God. Let me refresh your memory. Do you realize that when you come to God, you come clothed in your sin and God is clothed in righteousness? The Son of God never sinned, so He's clothed in righteousness. What happens is when we exchange our clothes, our coat with God in this blood covenant, He takes our clothing of sin and he clothes us in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Right? And then the beautiful picture is for eternity while we're in heaven, you look around and he talks about being clothed in, in righteousness, in the white of righteousness. We get a picture of it. All of eternity, the symbolism that you see in the book of Revelation where it speaks about being clothed in white, being clothed in white, it, it represents the righteousness of God. We don't have that righteousness. And we only get it if we accept the blood covenant. That's when the exchange. I give you my sin, you give me your righteousness. Glory to God. And then, he takes his belt and gives it to us. What do you mean? Ephesians 6, 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do you realize that God gives us the ability to have that protection against the devil? He gives us his belt, the belt of truth, right? Number three is the cut of the covenant. And really, that's what we pay the most attention to when we come on this time of year. You see, the lamb that was sacrificed was Jesus, and he represented the offering. As his hand stretched out, every drop of his blood flowed out. We have to come and take this and believe in it. 
Jesus was the offering of the blood covenant. But not just the offering. This is the amazing thing. Jesus was the initiate. God initiated the, the blood covenant, but Jesus carried out the blood covenant. And Jesus was not only the lamb of the blood covenant, he was the high priest of the blood covenant. Glory to God. What did I bring? Answer that for me. Nothing. Nothing. My belief. Amen. So the high priest and the lamb, he's part of the blood covenant. He made this for us. So the cut of the covenant, and I'll read this to you. This is Hebrews 10. I was excited just to be able to share this with you tonight. But Hebrews 10, if you think about this, Verses, if you were to read verses 9 through 19, it says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, he's talking about covenant, to establish the second, by the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Later on it says, He perfected forever them that are sanctified. You know how you're sanctified? You have to enter the blood covenant. It's not by your works. The Bible tells us it's for, by grace we're saved through faith, not, not of ourselves, right? I better move on. So Jesus was the cut of the covenant. He portrayed the cut of the covenant. Then we have the terms of the covenant. God's given us His terms of the covenant throughout the Bible. He's given terms of the covenant throughout the Old Testament where he was given the law, he was given the Ten Commandments. And you say, well, God's given us all kind of, uh, through his law and through his, his standards and through his examples and through the mouth of Jesus, he's given us, this is what you should do if you're in a relationship with me. Don't we see that throughout the Bible? You say, well, then these terms of the covenant, what are the terms that I have to bring. Here's my terms. Paul wrote them in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, well, good, I've done that. Well, hold on a second. You can say the terms of the covenant, but God expects you to live the terms of the covenant. He expects you to live in obedience. He expects you to live in worship. He expects you, you see, we're entering into a blood covenant with God when we get saved through Jesus Christ. But we can't just enter into this covenant and say, hey, you did it all and you're going to keep doing it all. No, he did it all to give it to us. But then once we receive it, God expects us to do our part of the covenant like anybody would. Why? It's a lifelong eternal covenant. I couldn't, if I were to promise Angie something when we got married and then after we got married, if I said, I got you. <laughs> and now we're married and I want to reap all the benefits of your cooking and your cleaning and, and you doing things for me. But listen, every now and then I'll acknowledge it. But you said that would be just very rude. Your marriage wouldn't last long. How many times have we treated our covenant with God that way? Amen. Right? And then, I have to go here, this fifth one, the exchange of names, that part of the covenant, that blood covenant, exchange of names. What do you mean? Do you realize that Jesus, Jesus, who is the Son of God, do you realize that Jesus changed his name? You say, what do you mean? Jesus began to call himself the Son of Man. That's 
to me, I, I just think, how in the world? Well, I've read Philippians 2. It said, he, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, right? He gave himself as a servant. He was the son of man. What do you mean? This son of God, the only begotten son of God was born of a woman and he referred him to himself as the son of man. You say, well, is that him taking our name? Jesus became a man. Jesus wasn't called Jesus until he came in the flesh. He wasn't called Jesus in the Old Testament. We think Jesus, well, Jesus was around in Genesis. Sure, he was around in the beginning. He was around, but he wasn't called Jesus until he was born of Mary. When he said, here's what you call him. He took the name of a man, right? But get this. Do you realize that we take the name of God when we, when we become a Christian? We're called a Christian. We're called a child of God. And if that isn't enough, I'll give you some other things, you see, just to chew on. And I think this is good stuff. You see, when you get to the book of Revelation chapter 2, you know what the Bible tells us? It talks about in heaven... You know what it says? It says in Revelation 2, 17, the Bible tells me I'm given a new name. Amen. Amen. And guess who's giving it to me? It says he gives it to me. And then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, it says, I will write upon him my new name. So that's God saying, I'll write upon you my new name. So God's got a new name for me and I've got a new name for him. We've got our own name. Why? We're in a blood covenant together. Amen. Glory to God. Isn't that good? Amen. But it doesn't stop there. You see, then there's the exchange of blood. We accept his blood to cover our sins. And the blood of Christ is forever mingled with our blood. Do you realize when you get saved, the blood of Jesus Christ is forever mingled with your blood? That's how you're going to be resurrected. If you die before Jesus comes back, that's how you're going to go up in the rapture. Why? Because your blood is mingled with Jesus. That's heavy stuff. But he doesn't stop there, and this is, this is pretty neat. You see, then you have to make a scar. You say, well, I don't remember having a scar. There wasn't anything physical that happened. It gave me a scar. Well, let me remind you, Jesus bore the scars of the cross for us. You remember him showing them to Thomas and symbolizing the covenant that we have with him? You say, well, what about our scar? Well, I'd have to go to Romans 2, verse 24. The Bible tells us that when we're saved, that it's evident because there's a circumcision of the heart. Amen. Circumcision of the heart. What does that mean? It says, the, Romans 2.24 says, And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. It means that something has to happen inside. That's men and women. And I guess I need to end with this last step of the cut of the covenant. What is that? They ate a memorial meal, remember? Celebrating the covenant. This is what we do when we receive this holy communion. And Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it saying, drink you all of it for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for the remission of sins. Now, do you understand communion. Glory to God. It's about the blood covenant. We'll pick up here the next time that we, God gives us an opportunity to open his word. This communion that we have with God is not taken lightly. 
It's the most binding agreement that you've ever been in. It shapes your whole eternity and it shapes your every day. It's the blood covenant. And the reason that it's so significant is because Jesus gave every drop of his blood to make this covenant. God watched it happen. We couldn't do it. He had to initiate it. If you just want to praise him for that tonight, bow to him in prayer tonight and just, just praise him. But if there's something that you just need to make right with him, and maybe, maybe you haven't thought about it that way, but now you realize, hey, all this was done for me. Come and get back right with God. He's so faithful to us in his covenant. Be able to ask yourself tonight, am I as faithful to God in my covenant with him? You see, a blood covenant is two people. You know what you did to get yourself into this covenant? Nothing but accept the terms. Now, if that's the case, all you would have to do is say, now am I living by the terms? That's your covenant responsibility now. What a good place to have that question answered on your knees before God this evening, right? And I'm sure that there are some that are watching or listening to this that maybe they've never accepted the Lord Jesus is their Savior. They've never believed. You've never come into a blood covenant with God, but He wants a blood covenant. He did all of this to have fellowship with you. So let's pray together. And then after we pray together, use this time of invitation. Talk to the Lord. Father God, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for this evening you've given us. I thank you for the time that you've given us, Lord, to, to be able to worship and fellowship here together. But Lord, your word is, is so true. It finds us where we're at. It blows my mind that you established these things all these years ago and then you made them happen in reverse. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But God, the one thing I do understand is that you love us. You did all of this to make a way for us to come to you. And so I want to praise you for that tonight. It wasn't just the blood of a lamb or a goat. It was the blood of your son Jesus that ran. And Lord, as we accept you as our Savior, we, we come into that covenant with you. We walk in that blood. We accept that terms, but you did all the work. So tonight, Lord, as we look at our part, our terms of this covenant, I pray, God, that, Lord, you would receive our offering of prayer, and, Lord, you'd draw us close to you. And if there's someone here that's lost, and someone listening that's lost, then I just pray, God, that you would appeal to their heart and let them know you did all of this just so that you could have a relationship with them. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.